0: Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit
1: sqpn.com give.
2: you're listening to episode
0: 43 of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, where we look at mysteries from the twin perspectives
1: of faith and reason. And in this episode, we're talking about weird questions again. That's right. It's our fifth Friday of the month. And so we're bringing you a special
0: weird questions episode. I'm Don Bethanelli and joining me today is Jimmy Akin. So Jimmy, can you remind the listeners what we're going to be hearing? Yeah. So this will be an episode from Catholic Answers Live, uh, which I do in conjunction with my day job. Uh, We produce, as you know, four new episodes of Mysterious World every month, at least in most months. Uh, Sometimes we have a bonus episode, but we don't want to leave you hanging on a fifth Friday. So we have an episode of Catholic Answers Live. And this one is going to focus on unusual questions, including uh, do some medieval paintings show uh, UFOs and spacemen in them? Uh, Could a priest or the pope bless an entire ocean and make it holy water? Uh, What are the implications of artificial intelligence, including for self-driving cars? Did Jesus or Mary ever get sick? What happened? What would happen religiously with the church if we colonized another planet? How would we communicate with their bishops and so forth? So a lot of interesting stuff. And next week, we'll be back to talk about John Hendricks, the Tennessee prophet. I'm really excited about this one. Not very many people know about John Hendricks, who lived more than a hundred years ago, but he 's got a fascinating story and if you don 't know it already don 't look it up you'll want you don't want to be spoiled you 'll want to be there to hear it unfold as it happened. It is an amazing story, and i 'm really looking forward to it so uh, come back next week for that and now let 's answer some weird questions.
1: Welcome to Catholic Answers
0: Live, the program where you participate with your questions about apologetics and evangelization, including the most important theological, spiritual, moral, and social issues facing the world today. We're not taking live calls. However, we invite you to stay with us and enjoy
1: the broadcast. Now, from San Diego, Catholic Answers Live. Hello, and welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. Thanks so much for being here with us. Hope you're having a fun Friday. We're, we're going to have a little bit of fun this hour. Um, a popular new, I'm, I'm quite sure it's popular, popular mm-hmm. new feature that we've been doing. This is actually our second time doing it, Offbeat Questions with Jimmy Aiken. That is, uh, we get all kinds of questions here at Catholic Answers, and uh, some of them are on beat, and some of them are a little bit offbeat. Uh, there, just uh, want to avoid downbeat questions. Yeah, would, uh, I don't think we have any downbeat questions. They are all upbeat, offbeat questions. Uh, questions that are you very familiar with these musical terms? Yes, that's where these all come from—is music. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, well, first of all, I should introduce you. This is Jimmy Aiken, senior Howdy. apologist here at Catholic I Answers. I already know you. We've been introduced. Uh, uh, there are other people listening. I did oh. not know if they told you that in the booth, oh. but other people are, are listening. All right. So give me that wait, da- radio da- involves other people listening outside of the studio. We should have gotten him a radio. I knew we should have done that. <laughs> we should have gotten him something oh, to. Okay, so that changes things. I think I know what offbeat is. Uh Okay, so let's say you have a four-four beat. Right, two, three, four. Some offbeat would mean you're missing one of those.
0: Yeah, which can be deliberate. Like for example, in jazz, where Uh, you may have extra inserted notes that are off the main beat as a way of uh, creating interesting rhythms and melodies. Right. Okay, so upbeat.
1: uh, well, upbeat, what does that mean, actually? I don't know where. So upbeat
0: music. and downbeat are, um, they They have different meanings. They've come to mean metaphorically happy yeah. things are upbeat, yeah. sad or, or depressing things are downbeat, but that's not what it means in music. In music, the downbeat is the, in 2-2 uh, two, two time, it's, so 2-2 two, two time is frequently, um, for example, is frequently uh, characterized as having a boom chuck, boom chuck, boom chuck, uh, yeah. and the downbeat is the chuck oh. and, it's, and it's important to it, it's a forceful beat that you um, that you uh, can put your foot down
1: on when you're dancing. So it doesn't exactly match up. It just I think we made downbeat of the because the association of down
0: down and and up yeah. are, are embedded in human psychology right. as metaphors for better yeah. and worse. Uh, And I was talking about this in a recent uh, live stream I did uh, on YouTube and Facebook about the ascension because it's hooked into this aspect of human psychology. We're vertically oriented creatures. We walk upright. yeah, And we have our eyes. We're very visual. We have our eyes at the top of our bodies. We have our hands, which we interact with things with near the top of our bodies. And so we're top oriented. Oh, the good stuff. Yeah. Right. As opposed to, say, quadrupeds like dogs where they're front oriented. Oh, yeah. And so because we're top oriented creatures, we associate... Um, up with goodness and superiority. In fact, that's where the word superior comes from. It's from a Latin root, super, it means above. Uh-huh. And so uh, we conceive of the upper things as the better things, and that's why we associate, why we imagine God being in heaven even though He's omnipresent. Right. And that's why Jesus chose to ascend. Yeah. As a way of showing us he's going to be with God. Yeah. Um,
1: and it's so. A, that kind of a grace builds on nature kind of thing. Exactly. Our, our nature yeah. assumes that up is good. Right. And so uh, he, in, in his grace-filled yes. moment, mm-hmm. uses that as yeah. part of uh, making us understand it. Uh, we would call this weird questions, I think, but that has a derogatory uh, implication. So mm-hmm. offbeat. Maybe. Is a, yeah. you Really? Because some of them are weird. Some of them, yeah. Well. Uh, shall we? All right, let's start with Roy uh, or no, Ray, excuse me, Ray. um, And he asks, some ancient painting paintings show spacemen and UFOs in them. Your opinion. Yeah. So
0: now what he's talking about here and when we got these questions, I think there's a little more context. He's talking about like medieval art paintings. Oh. Um, and if you look in – and this is something if you watch UFO documentaries or read UFO books, you'll find them showing sometimes little uh, detail blowups of parts of medieval paintings of various scenes that have interesting things in the sky. And sometimes you'll see like they have these projections that, I mean, look kind of like flames or maybe like antennas. And there's a famous one that's actually in um, in Yugoslavia in a a monastery, if I recall correctly. It's a painting of the crucifixion. And on either side of the cross up in the sky, there are what look like little capsules which have a person in them and then they have these projections that, you know, maybe they're flames, maybe they're oh. antenna and they look like little space capsules and so people will say, aha, these are, um, these are like little spaceships and so they must have seen these UFOs and it provides mm. evidence for the extraterrestrial UFO hypothesis and you'll see other similar things in other medieval paintings and um, the thing is, it looks that way to us because of our cultural background, Uh, but that's not really what's going on in these paintings. Mm -hmm. Um, And art historians know all about this because these paintings didn't come out of nowhere. They're part of a broad artistic tradition that developed over the centuries, and these are stock images that appear regularly in these paintings, and we know what they mean. In some cases, the figures that you'll see that have like maybe a face with these projections from it are angels, and the the projections are the radiance of the angels' holiness. Oh, I see. In other cases, like this famous one that has what looks like little space capsules, um, actually they are the sun and the moon. And they're part of the of a tradition in uh, medieval and Renaissance art of depicting the sun and the moon as witnesses to Jesus's crucifixion. So it's like nature is testifying to Jesus. But just like people today will draw faces. On the Sun or you've got the man and the moon yeah. and they'll have rays coming out of the Sun and the moon little projections to symbolize the light coming from them yeah. well that's what's happened here it's just this is on a style a particularly stylized end of the spectrum but you mm-hmm. see the Sun and the moon in these positions across a wide swath of paintings and if you want documentation about all this um, there's an Italian art historian uh, named Diego. Kuogi, and I'll spell that so you can look him up, but he's, he's done uh, a bunch of work on the web documenting this, these artistic traditions and showing you that, no, in fact, these are not UFOs. So, uh, if you want to look that up online, just uh, Google Diego, D-I-E-G-O, Kuogi, C-U-O-G-H-I and ufos and it'll come right up and you can look at his page he's got all of the there's an english version of his page you can look at uh you know his own screenshots of these paintings and and how they relate to each other and so forth
1: that's very cool it's interesting how we uh we read back what we what has kind of developed in our consciousness yeah of this 19 i guess the 1950s flying saucer image yeah well hey I, i see that in a painting from uh, Yugoslavian, uh, what did you say? It was a monastery? Yeah. Uh, all right. So I think we got got um yeah, we have time for another one uh, before we go. Jeff uh, asks the following question. And all did the, these all came from the internet, I'm yeah. assuming. These yeah, questions. these are all Facebook. Oh, all Facebook questions. All right. Jeff asks, could a priest or the Pope bless an entire ocean at once and make it holy water? Well, um, so blessings are, we want to
0: understand what they are. They're not sacraments. They're sacramentals, okay. and that means they're instituted by the church. They're not of divine institution, and they don't imbue things with sanctifying grace. Um, when, we, when, we, uh, when the church blesses something, it involves asking God – when the church blesses an object in particular, it involves asking God to help us in the use of this. Okay. For some purpose, um, like if uh, if we are saying a blessing over food, we're asking God to help us be nourished by this food, and you know not to be harmed by it in some ways. Uh, and so, you know, there, that can cover a variety of things. But the essence is we're asking God to do something to help us with respect to this object. Now, also, uh, blessings are subject to. The because they're an institution of the church, um, the, they're under the church's authority in a way that the sacraments are not, because the sacraments are given to us by God. And so, what happens in a uh, what happens in a blessing is subject to the church's authority. And so, the church can, for example, authorize some people to perform a, a, a blessing in its name, but not others. And so there are some blessings only a priest can do. There are some blessings o- that lay people can do. There are some that only a bishop can do. And so oh. it kind of the way the blessing works determ- is determined by the parameters that the church has set for the blessing and how the church understands it. Well, um, when you look at blessing the blessing for holy water outside mass, it doesn't mention anything about blessing an entire ocean. Um, It's kind this is kind of a please don't eat the daisies situation. Um, That's a reference to an old book that was uh, by a humor columnist who had uh, uh, was throwing a dinner party and she um, gave her children lots of rules about how what they must not do at the dinner party to keep from messing it up. Mm -hmm. And she neglected to tell them, please don't eat the daisies. (laughs) Um, So Uh that's what they did. And so this is a situation that the legislator really didn't envision. Having said that, uh, any reasonable person looking at the legislator's intent Mm -hmm. would say that when the pope authorized the blessing for holy water outside of mass, he did not intend it to be applied to entire oceans. So I would say that a priest is not authorized to do that. Um, But that leaves us with the case of the pope because it's the pope All who right. sets the parameters. And so hypothetically speaking, I would say the pope could uh, bless an entire ocean. Now, he probably wouldn't want to. It would probably be a bad idea because it would be a cause of mockery if – If, you know, around the world of, hey, guess what? The pope, you know, in his recent visit to Hawaii made the entire Pacific Ocean holy water. You know, is that really going to lead people to God? But since we're doing a kind of off the wall question show, I would say, hypothetically, the pope could do that. And I brought in the Book of Blessings. Uh, And I have here because, you know, people will want to know, well, exactly what does this blessing entail? There are different versions of the blessing, but here's the one from the most recent book of blessings. Uh, When the actual water is blessed, this is what the priest says. Blessed are you, Lord, all-powerful God, who in Christ, the living water of salvation, blessed us and transformed us. Grant that. So here's where the rubber hits the road. Grant that. When we are sprinkled with this water or make use of it, we will be refreshed inwardly by the power of the Holy Spirit and continue to walk in the new life we receive at baptism. So that's what's being asked in the blessing of water outside of mass. And hypothetically, if a pope uh, chose to, I would say he could turn an entire ocean into into holy water for those purposes. So that when we sprinkle ourselves with us or make use of it, we're reminded of these things and God Mm -hmm. will give us some of his grace and help us walk in the Christian life.
1: Um, Well, uh, thanks, Jimmy. It's Offbeat Questions today uh, here at Catholic Answers Live. Offbeat, unusual, off-the-wall questions, questions we don't normally get a chance to get to but often produce fascinating answers like "Could uh, could a priest or the pope bless the ocean? More of those with Jimmy Akin right after this on Catholic Answers Live. Hi, this is Cy Kellett. It's easier than you may think to have a Catholic Answers speaker at your conference or parish event. We've got the speakers. Fired up and knowledgeable Catholic Answers speakers have their bags packed and are ready to come see you. Go to CatholicAnswersSpeakers.com to find out just how easy it is to have a Catholic Answers speaker at your next event. That's CatholicAnswersSpeakers.com. Carlo, get your feet off my suitcase.
3: Tim Staples here. Since May is the month of Mary and Mother's Day, I'm offering a great opportunity for you to help yourself, your family and your friends to get to know our Blessed Mother more deeply than ever before. And to help make that happen, we're offering my book Behold Your Mother, a biblical and historical defense of the Marian doctrines for only 9.95. Folks, that's over 45% off the regular price. From her immaculate conception to the annunciation, from her title as Mother of God, To her perpetual virginity, from her assumption into heaven to her role as co-redemptrix, I'll give you all the facts and back them up with solid biblical evidence in a way that's easy to read, remember, and understand. Make this May the month you, your friends, and your family grow closer to the mother of the church, Our Mother Mary. To get your copies of Behold Your Mother, call 1-888-291-8000 or log on to the shop at catholic.com.
1: Homeschool Connections, an online provider of courses for your Catholic homeschool, is a sponsor of Catholic Answers Live. Homeschool Connections' website is homeschoolconnections.com.
2: A lot of people think that street evangelization involves yelling out of a bullhorn, telling people that they're going to hell. Not so with St. Paul's street evangelization. Our methods are non-confrontational and effective. We simply offer information on the Catholic faith, along with rosaries, miraculous medals, and prayer. Pope Francis wrote about how beautiful it is to see street preachers joyfully bringing Jesus to every corner of the earth. Street evangelization is fun and fruitful. Join us today at streetevangelization.com
0: not taking live calls. However, we invite you to stay with us and enjoy the broadcast.
1: This is Catholic Answers Live. Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. I am Kyle, your host. Jimmy Akin, senior apologist here at Catholic Answers is our guest. Jimmy is the author of A Daily Defense: 365 Days Plus 1 to Becoming a Better Apologist among many other things. And uh we like we have fun with Jimmy because he lets us ask him weird questions. He doesn't <laughs> try to give him straight answers. <laughs> yeah, straight answers to weird questions. Hey, there's a a title to the um this show as well we titled the show offbeat questions uh we get all kinds of questions at catholic answers and so we thought we'd share some of the most unusual with you and see what kind of answers jimmy can come up with rainier on uh, facebook asks as a catholic working on the algorithm on a self-driving car Mm -hmm. how would you solve a a trolley problem kill one person or five what if you program for the former and the one person ended up being an escaped convict and the five are nuns? How do you morally solve this trolley problem? Okay, so for people who may not be... Now, I know, Cy, you're
0: familiar with the trolley problem. Yes. Um, but not everybody is, so I'll explain briefly what it is. The trolley problem is a thought experiment that was first proposed by the philosopher, philosopher Philippa Foot back in the 1960s. And, uh, in it, and there are a bunch of versions of it that are designed to help us tease out our ethical intuitions and what principles they contain mm-hmm. about, about what to do in various situations. The, um, the original version of the trolley problem goes something like this. Suppose you're on a trolley coming down the street and, uh, and it's, it's out of control. It's, and on the track in front of you, are five people that you will run over if nothing changes. Okay, but you have the option uh, on the trolley of pulling a lever that will divert the trolley onto a side track. But on that side track is a single person, uh, just one person. And so, do you pull the lever or not? If you uh, don't pull the lever, five people are going to die. But, if you do pull the lever you 've taken a positive action that will lead to the death of one person mm-hmm. versus merely passively allowing something to happen the other way, and so there 's a bit of a of a struggle there, yeah, um, and most people, when confronted with this version of the trolley problem, say the thing to do is pull the lever and accepting the consequence of the one person 's death is morally legitimate. Um, because uh, it's neither a goal nor a means mm-hmm. uh, to achieving a goal. It's just a side effect. So the right. law of double effect applies. Yeah. Um, and uh, they may not be able to articulate all that, but most people have that intuition. Right. Um, so the thing to do in that situation, according to most people, would be to, uh, to um, say uh, – let save the five and allow one person to die. But then there are other variations. Like suppose someone just snaps their fingers and you're on the trolley side, and on on scenario on the other track is Jimmy Aiken who's standing right there, yeah. single person with his uh, one of the heels of his cowboy boots trapped in the track. And he's Again, the one you're going to have to kill. Come on, Aiken. You need to be more careful crossing <laughs> the railroad tracks. So uh, so obviously that changes our feelings when we know yeah. one of the persons. Right. But still, most people would say it, it, you want to save the five person's lives just because you're friends with someone. I mean, that that may shape your your relations with them somewhat, but yeah. n- it's not enough to let five people die. Right. And um, then there are, but then there are other situations where it gets more complex. Like, suppose you're not on the trolley, suppose you're on an overpass and the trolley's gonna go on a track under the overpass and kill five people. And you don't have a lever, but what you do have is a really overweight person standing next to you that you could throw onto the track <laughs> so that um, that person ends up dying. Right. But the, it stops the trolley from killing the other five. Well, from one perspective, it looks like you're still killing one person to save five. But at this point, most people's ethical intuitions flip yeah. and say you cannot kill the one person. You cannot throw the overweight person over the over the railing to stop the trolley. And, I would, ha- By the way, I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. But that, that that's a morally different proposition. Right. And then the 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 philosopher wants to say, OK, why is it morally different? Right. What changes it? And um, and because you could say, you know, the law of double effect still applies here. Yeah, if I, you throw the person over and they survive, that's great. You saved everybody. Yeah. You don't know for a fact they're going to die if they don't. So their death is not a means or an end. It's a side effect. But um what uh seems to be involved here is we're programmed To not manhandle people in this way, we're involved, we're directly involving ourselves in somebody's death in a greater way than just pulling a lever and having machines do something. Yeah. And so that seems to be one of the factors that's relevant here. Now, and to answer this question, uh, and it's a very relevant one, because right now we're on the verge of self-driving cars. They already exist. And and it's a question now of programming them so that they have already
1: killed people, as a matter of fact. They
0: have, or at least in, you know, accidentally. Accidentally, yeah. and the 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 key now is how can we make them so that they're safer than human drivers. Yeah. Um, which I think is an achievable goal. I think that'll eventually happen. Um, but I would say in this case, uh I would as the programmer say save the five people rather than the one. And I would say if it turns out that the you know that the if I in the second one, where he says, if I chose not to do that, which is actually not the choice I would make, but if for, let's say, legal reasons, I had to let program the car in such a way that it would go after the five people instead of diverting to where the one is. Yeah. And if it turned out that those five people were nuns and the one was an escaped convict, I would say that's unfortunate, but still, we don't make life or death decisions uh, in this kind of circumstance based on the moral character of the person. Right, yeah. And so it would be unfortunate, and that may be a factor that may play in some of our decisions in life, but um, but ultimately we want to treat lives as, as fundamentally equal, um, and so we don't want to say, well, this person is more pious or righteous or whatever and therefore they get to live. Yeah, that puts us in a, then we're playing God. In in fact, people in that situation would, the holier people would likely say, no, save the soul that needs more time
1: to repent. Right. The nuns, the nuns may well be ready. (laughs) Yeah. Um, uh, One more, uh, let's see, I just got to check my my clock here real quick. Um, I'm going to give you the question. We'll start on an answer. Maybe you won't, maybe we can finish it. Maybe we'll have to continue on the other side. Margo, On Facebook asks, did Mary or Jesus ever get sick? Ah, this is an easy one. Um,
0: We don't know. The scriptures never tell us. What we can say is that they were both living on earth in an unglorified state where they could suffer injury such as and pain, yeah. such as Jesus getting hungry, which we know happened. Hunger is a form of pain. Jesus being brutalized and killed. Yeah, he he, he uh, and and so he was clearly subject to mortal physical attacks. Well, essentially, uh, sicknesses are uh, at least based on the germ theory of disease. Uh, those sicknesses are caused by. Um, By attacks by small organisms, either Mm -hmm. viruses or microbes. And since they were living in an unglorified state, they were in principle open to attacks by humans and by bears and by microbes. Mm -hmm. Now, they may not have ever fallen victim to those because God could miraculously preserve them. And we know he did miracles in their lives. But unless that happened, they would have been subject to. Uh, attacks by microorganisms the same way they were vulnerable to attacks by macroorganisms.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Margo, thanks very much for that question. If I may, does that same answer apply to Adam and Eve? Uh, it would in principle as well, yes. Like before also, the fall, I mean. Well, yeah.
0: yeah, they were living in, according to the standard theological account, they were living in a state of elevated nature, but not the full glorified state. Otherwise, they never would have fallen.
1: Right, okay, so they're not in their, uh, right, they're not in glory. Um, so it's potentially, but we know less about that than we do about
0: about the circumstances in which Jesus and Mary lived.
1: What if they had, if they had never fallen, would they have ever made it into glory with God? Would, well, that's, we don't standard know. Standard understanding
0: oh, is that, that they had a probationary
1: period, and if they passed it, they would have just gone right to races. God. Yeah. Ah, uh, I hear the music, so we have to take a break. We're covering offbeat. Strange, off-the-wall, weird questions today. We get so many questions here at Catholic Answers. I'm taking the weird ones today for a little bit of fun on Friday with Jimmy Aiken. More of that after this on Catholic Answers Live.
2: Stay with us for more Catholic Answers Live. God helps those who help themselves. Preach the gospel always. When necessary, use words. We all hear sayings like these and we assume they come from the Bible, the saints, or famous Christian writers. Nobody can seem to place their origin, but by sheer repetition they've acquired a halo of truth. In my new book, What the Saints Never Said, I look at over 40 of these well-known sayings and track them back to their original sources. You'll be surprised at what I found. Some are close to what was really said. Many were misattributed or twisted beyond their original meaning and more than a few of these sayings were simply made up I hope by setting the record straight I can make you aware of the theological errors that can lead us away from the faith and offer you authentic quotes from scripture saints and scholars that will draw you closer to our faith get your copy of what the saints never said by calling 1-888-291-8000 by visiting the shop at catholic.com or by asking for it at a good catholic bookstore near you
3: We live in an age of indifference. Does truth exist? Maybe. Is there a God? Who knows? Does it matter what religion you believe in? Probably not. If you think so, fine. I'm spiritual, but not religious. Apologist Matt Nelson says this indifference is the great spiritual sickness of our age, a product of the relativism that dominates our culture. And rather than remain indifferent, he did something about it. In his new book, Just Whatever, Matt Looks at the different kinds of indifference you likely encounter in your friends and family members and maybe in yourself and offers an antidote to the problem that plagues our age. Order your copy of Just Whatever today by calling one 888 logging on to the shop at catholic.com or asking for it at a good Catholic bookstore near you. Catholic Answers Live
0: is on EWTN television.
1: Catholic Answers Live is one of the longest running and most listened to Catholic radio programs of all time. And now it's also a TV show. I think you'll really get a different take from the TV show. The Bible quote or catechism paragraph the speaker is explaining can be put up on the screen, along with helpful graphics and other related material that really bring the topic to life. Catholic Answers Live, TV,
0: Saturday at 5 p.m. Eastern on EWTN television.
1: Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. It is a Friday. Hope your Friday is going very, very well. We have the great pleasure of having Jimmy Akin here with us for a little bit of a fun topic. Uh, we get into some serious stuff. I mean, we got into this... the. Law of double effect, or Mm -hmm. uh, last uh, last question. It's a little downbeat. But uh, that was a little downbeat. Let's pick it up here. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But we have a lot of fun uh, because we get to ask weird questions when we do this show with Jimmy, and these questions uh, come to us via Facebook, and they are among the strangest questions we have gotten, and they're a lot of fun to answer. And Jonathan on Facebook, Jimmy, asks, "Uh, if we were to colonize another planet in the future, how would the Catholic Church on Earth... Communicate with the representatives, bishop, church, with presiding pre, or uh, residing priest, lay congregation on the other planet. In other words, what would have to be done or prepared before sending such rep- representatives as part of a colonization? Okay, uh,
0: you know, it's like no one has ever even thought about
1: this. <laughs> I, I,
0: I
2: I am
1: very pleased only, that this question if, is here.
0: If only there was a book, <laughs> and you know, maybe it would be called, maybe it would be about how a bishop from Mars comes back to Earth for his ad limina visit. Yeah. And it could even be, it could be called ad limina. Yeah. And it could be written by someone named Cyril Kellett and yeah. be available on
1: Amazon <laughs> right now for download. <laughs> That's uh, so funny that Jonathan asked that question because I did write a science fiction novel about this very question. Mm-hmm. And but you know, So I maybe think, you should answer this. Well, I'll try. I'll say just this. I think many Catholics don't know. There's certain things that not everybody knows. And one of them is that... Ordinary bishops, that that is the bishop of a diocese, Mm -hmm. uh, essentially, Uh, ordinary bishops have to go to Rome every five years. Approximately. That's the goal. It's not always really five. And ad limina means to the thresholds. Mm -hmm. To the limits or thresholds. And you're Mm -hmm. supposed to visit the... Tombs the, of Peter and Paul. Tombs of Peter and Paul. But you and, also and visit and the Pope. The Pope. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. other people in the Roman Curia. Right. Yeah. So the, uh, that was the my, the idea for my book was that in the future, people live on Mars. Mm-hmm. And this bishop um, who was born on Mars has to go to Rome for his mm-hmm. first ad limina visit. Mm-hmm. And now the thing is, I think Jonathan might be talking about interstellar right. type things because it's very easy to communicate with Mars. It takes a few minutes. There's a delay. About 20 minutes. But, yeah. But um, – so, yeah, so go ahead. You can oh, it Okay, that. so, it, well, in terms of
0: communication with them, so there are sort of two parts to his question. One is communication. Uh, one that your novel deals with is transportation. If yeah. there's a way to, within a reasonable period of time, get back to Earth, then presumably you would have a situation like that where the bishops from another planet – uh, would be required to come back to earth for consultations, either for ad limina visits or other forms of consultation, just like bishops go to Rome now. Right. That didn't used to happen when we didn't have airplanes and it was sea voyages oh. to get anywhere and it could take weeks or months to get somewhere. Yeah. So this is actually a situation we faced somewhat before. Um, and in some ages, tr- even we didn't even have the ability to do ship transportation. Mm-hmm. Um, so there have been periods where bishops were cut off from contact with uh, with Rome for extended periods, especially in the age of exploration. Um, and this what, is what we're talking about here: space exploration. Mm-hmm. So um, there there could be situations where. Uh, sh- Space travel would enable them to get back in a reasonable way in terms of time and expense, in which case they do that. Uh, if they can't get back for face-to-face communications, then obviously there would be um, a utilization of whatever means of communication are available that could include things like um, – Light speed limited communications like message lasers, like or oh, what yeah. you could use to communicate with Mars and stuff, uh, or radio waves. Um, there could be communication via uh, via RAM robot, where you like have a, a robotic spaceship that takes a package of messages from Earth somewhere. Yeah. Um, then, it, depending on how the laws of physics shake out, there could be hypothetically, faster than light communications through something like a device from science fiction called an Ansible, which would allow instantaneous or near instantaneous communication faster than light over interstellar distances. That's, of course, purely speculative at this point. We don't have a way to make an Ansible. Um, If such communication were uh, going to be difficult and improbable— Um, and irregular, then that kind of gets us to the second part of the question, what would happen before people go? Um, Now, in the history of colonization, uh, people do tend to take their religious figures with them when they establish a colony, Mm -hmm. but they often don't on earlier exploratory missions. So just like Catholic astronauts who went to the moon didn't take a priest with them. Mm-hmm. There could be early astronauts or early colonists who didn't have priests, but eventually the church would want to care for their spiritual needs and would want to get a bishop in particular um, in these in in whatever extraterrestrial colonies we had. And so there would be a need for a volunteer and there would be no shortage of volunteers for that. Um, it, part of the missionary spirit you know we'll see to the fact that there would be volunteers but then there would be a really rigorous screening and training process that would happen because that bishop and the priests uh, he would ordain and the future bishops that would be consecrated uh, if there was not regular travel between earth and this other place um there'd be a risk there. You could ha- – you want to do everything you can to ensure continuity of ecclesiastical communion so that you don't have a schism or a heresy yeah. develop in the colony. And so there would be a lot of uh, – there would be a lot of screening and a lot of training. And then there would also probably be some juridical um, safeguards put in place as well so that if, let's say, the bishop's advisors – on this uh colony world de- determined that he's veering into heresy, oh yeah, uh, that he could then be deposed mm-hmm. and a new bishop consecrate. And you'd probably you'd need some additional you'd actually need more than one bishop to ensure continuity in that process. But um, but there could potentially be some juridical things
1: you could do to ensure ecclesiastical communion
0: continues.
1: Uh, Jonathan, thanks very much for that question. I had that question myself several years ago and a and a, and a novel came out of it or a novella. Um, I, Nick, you're gonna have to help me with the clock. What 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 are how much time are we looking at? Okay, so we have time for another question. Anthony uh, asks, oh, now, here we go. If general AI is created, Mm -hmm. AI meaning artificial intelligence, does it falsify the Catholic teaching about the soul's necessity for intelligence? How likely is its creation in your opinion, Jimmy? I don't know that the church has a teaching that the soul is
0: necessary for intelligence. That's going to depend on... Um, what you uh, how you define intelligence. I think it now, so the soul is understood to be the life force, the, th- the animating principle of a life form. So even unintelligent animals have souls. Um, they, according to the historically most popular theological opinion, they don't survive death. If it's mm-hmm. – you need to have a rational soul uh, in order to survive death. But all living things have a soul. Um, that's what keeps them from being alive rather than dead. Um, in terms of, of intelligence, intelligence can be understood in different ways. Um, if we, – we need to distinguish here between information processing ability, which is – One of the things we think of is intelligence is involving someone's intelligent. If they have a lot of information and can process a lot of information, then they're intelligent. Um, And intelligence in that sense, I don't think you need to even be alive for because computers right now can have and manipulate information. And so I don't have a theoretical problem imagining uh, that one day you can have computer algorithms that so closely um, mimic the human level of information processing that they could, for example, pass what's known as the Turing test. It was a test proposed by the uh, mathematician and computer scientist Alan Turing in England who said – You know, what would happen if you had a computer that was so sophisticated that if you're typing to it, you can't tell it's not a human. Yeah. And that's what's known as the Turing test. If it's if if an artificial intelligence can fool you into thinking it's a human after an extended conversation or you can't tell the difference between it and a human, then it passes the Turing test. So I don't have a problem. Uh, saying that well, that kind of information processing could one day be done on machines i don 't know how close that is i 'm not a computer scientist, so i 'm really not qualified to have an opinion there. Um, I tend to be skeptical of the of both extremes on that question. Some uh, computer scientists are like oh yeah we 're going to have a robust AI in twenty years.' Well, they've been saying that for 40 years. Yeah. And it's proved really hard. Others uh, have said, oh, this is fundamentally impossible. It'll never happen. I'm skeptical of nevers, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, 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 I don't know that I, – I don't think it's imminent, but I don't rule it out that this could happen either. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it did happen, I would say, well, it doesn't have a soul and it doesn't have consciousness which is something that biological life forms seem to have based on our own experience. We know we are conscious and other people, other humans are conscious. And it sure seems like animals are conscious. Um, But computers – don't seem to have the apparatus they need physically to be conscious. Mm-hmm. Right now, they're based on silicon chips. They could, uh, you know, they'll eventually be based on something else if quantum computing works out. But, um, but fundamentally, I don't, I don't see a way for machines to be conscious. Mm-hmm. And I think that's. Uh, something that the soul may be more directly connected with than just information processing ability.
3: So um, so
0: I'd say – I would say that the soul has various faculties and the human soul has robust information processing is one of them. But I think that's a separable faculty you could duplicate
1: with a machine and it wouldn't have a soul. Uh, The the creepy thing though to me is that you could make uh, – it seems almost – it seems not difficult, given what could happen over the next 20, 30, 100 years, that you could make a, a, a thing, a, a robot or whatever, that mimics human beings very, very well so that mm-hmm. you could not distinguish between yeah. the robot and the thing. And then people are that's be very confusing to us. Mm-hmm. It's And potentially very uh, dangerous because
0: one of the things that happens when you do have uh, artificial intelligence achieve a certain skill level is it then exceeds dramatically – what humans can do because it has faster information processing. Oh yeah. So I've seen like videos of where they have hooked up a, a learning a primitive AI, but it's like it's got a learning algorithm that learns how to play a game and you'll watch it playing Pong or something and or, you know, a Tetris like game or something, and it'll take it a few hours and it's experimenting randomly and figuring out how to play this game. And then it hits a tipping point where it suddenly knows how to play the game and wins infallibly every time. And it's not intelligent. I mean, it's not conscious, um, but it's got this skill down. Yeah. And so can you imagine – Right now they have those phone salespeople that try to trick you into thinking they're a human being when really it's a recording Yeah, and they're starting to even become interactive a little bit. They are, yeah. And can you imagine if you have a robust AI with a sales algorithm that it's (laughs) now And they're really good at it. Or a con
1: algorithm. Oh,
0: yeah. And there are some real
1: dangers there that we're going to have to think about as this technology matures. Yeah, plus they'll probably learn Kung Fu. Uh, we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back with more weird, strange, odd questions on this Friday with Jimmy Aiken on Catholic
3: Answers Live right after this. Tim Staples here. Since May is the month of Mary and Mother's Day I'm offering a great opportunity for you to help yourself, your family and your friends to get to know our Blessed Mother more deeply than ever before and to help make that happen we're offering my book Behold Your Mother a biblical and historical defense of the Marian doctrines for only $9.95. Folks that's over 45% off the regular price. From her Immaculate Conception to the Annunciation from her title as Mother of God to her perpetual virginity, from her assumption into heaven to her role as co-redemptrix, I'll give you all the facts and back them up with solid biblical evidence in a way that's easy to read, remember, and understand. Make this May the month you, your friends, and your family grow closer to the mother of the church, Our Mother Mary. To get your copies of Behold Your Mother, call one 888 291 or log on to the shop at catholic.com.
1: Are faith and science compatible? Join us this September 27th to the 30th as we tackle the topic of Catholic Answers fifth National Apologetics Conference, Faith and Science, a lively and inspiring event designed to jumpstart your faith. Visit catholicanswersconference.com or call 1-888-291-8000 today to register. That's catholicanswersconference.com.
3: Do you enjoy tedious lectures full of facts you'll never use? We
1: didn't think so. That's why we're launching the Council of Trent, Trent Horn's engaging new podcast. Every week, you'll get lively lessons in Catholic teaching, as well as a new conversation roadmap that will help you share your Catholic faith with anyone, anytime, anywhere. Visit TrentHornPodcast.com now to find out how you can subscribe to this exciting new podcast.
0: Catholic Answers Live is brought to you in part by CatholicSingles.com, the website for Catholics who want to meet others who share their faith and values for faith, fellowship, and love. You can learn more at CatholicSingles.com. Catholic Answers Live thanks CatholicSingles.com for their generous support. We're not taking live calls, however, we invite you to stay with us and enjoy the broadcast. This is Catholic
1: Answers Live. Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. So happy to have you with us on this Friday as we take weird questions, strange questions, out of the ordinary questions. Jimmy Aiken is our guest. Jimmy, yeah, I uh,
0: realized I said something backwards earlier in the show about downbeats. Okay, when the downbeat is the accentuated beat, and it's usually on the first. Oh, uh, okay. Of the oh. of a measure, so like in a boomchuck, it's the boom.
1: I gotcha. Okay, and what's the other one called? The upbeat or the.
0: Um, it, 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 there can be more than one. Oh,
1: that's other right. other yeah. beat depending so on the time signature the, you're yeah. using. Uh, well, thanks for clearing that up. Yeah. Cause I would have left here with a completely wrong impression about down. I like to correct things when I can't. Yeah, I know. Um, uh, okay. So the, here's a question, uh, that Lo- Lauren asks on mm-hmm. Facebook and I'm interested in this because, uh, it, it's a question about lying, but it's also a question about somebody I've never heard of. Mm-hmm. Lauren asks, Is it moral or in any way permissible to lie to a Cyberman? Okay, Actually, I was surprised because
0: this came from more than one person. Really? Yeah. So I guess maybe some people out there have been discussing lying to Cybermen. Um, So uh, Cybermen are a um, transhumanist race of people on the television show Doctor Who. Oh, and okay. so they're like humans that have been augmented by mechanical means, and that's why they're called Cybermen, because they have cybernetic devices uh, embedded in them. In fact, if you look at them from the outside, they can even appear to just be robots, but there's really a person in there or okay. parts of a person are in there. Right um, Now, the, the Cybermen generally on Doctor Who are, um, are antagonists. So they have this ideology where they want to upgrade everybody and they have uh, a specific emotion inhibitor that prevents the uh, – because if you upgrade somebody against their will, you're traumatizing them. Yeah. you know, And so they have like an emotion inhibitor to prevent the person who's been upgraded from experiencing horror at oh. what's happened to them. And uh, and then they have this set of ideological directives that are implanted in them to go out and cyberize everybody. And uh, so that's the general nature of Cybermen. I, and I, I can't help wondering because I do a Doctor Who podcast with um, a couple of other uh, gentlemen, Father Corey Stika and, and Don Bettinelli. We have a, a show called Secrets of Doctor Who, which you can find at sqpn.com. Um, and I know we've been talking about Cybermen recently, and I can't help thinking maybe we discussed lying, but oh, in connection with Cybermen. And that's why everyone's asking. This is an echo it. of that, but I don't remember us discussing lying. So here's, uh, here's the answer I would give in the abstract. Um, it's going to depend on your theory of lying. Um, some, uh, understandings of lying would say you can never do it under mm-hmm. any circumstances. And, Then there will be theories where that gets qualified, um, in various ways. Some people have proposed you can't, you can feed false information to someone who is not an actual moral agent, which cybermen are not because of their programming. They don't have free will.
3: Oh. Um,
0: I don't, I don't tend to favor that one, but I personally, and this is just my own personal view, it's not church teaching, um, I tend to favor the ethical traditions that say that lying in tactical circumstances such as in wartime mm-hmm. can be legitimate. So you can do things like feints and, yeah. and things like that to think, make an enemy think you're going to attack at one point when really you're going to attack somewhere else. Um, and, uh, and those just seem essential to the conduct of war, which is legitimate in principle as a means of legitimate defense. And so um, – and similarly, I think it's OK to lie to Nazis about whether you have Jews in your attic. And I have a theory about – that goes into that. I think okay. essentially when you lie to someone, you're damaging their belief system the same way if you punch someone, you're damaging their body. Okay. And just as – and so I view lying as a form of damage. But there are situations in which it's legitimate to damage somebody either physically or mentally as a form of defense. And so uh, since Cybermen are aggressors, uh, you could uh, deceive them legitimately the same way you could punch them legitimately or in their case, expose them to gold dust because it clogs their vents. Um, (laughs) So, uh, well, there's an out, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so my personal view would be yes, but it's going to depend on your theory of lying, and not all theories
1: of lying countenance that. Okay, fair enough. Uh, now I know what a cyberman is as well. Uh, let's see if we can get Kelly's question in before we have to go for the day. Is the multiverse theory one that postulates that every possible thing can happen, does happen? But in a different universe, I think I got that right. Mm-hmm. Compat- that's what those are her words. Uh, compatible with at all with Christianity? Uh,
0: so there are different theories of how there might be multiple universes. Some of them are would only postulate a small number of alternative universes. Some would postulate a very large but finite number of other universes. And then there are versions that would postulate an infinite number of universes. But the thing is, there's more than one kind of infinity. And so even if you say there are infinite universes, that doesn't guarantee that every possible thing happens in them. Having said that, um, the creative power of God is infinite. And God is is the absolute form of infinity. Mm -hmm. So God is capable, by His omnipotence, of creating every possible logical state of affairs. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: That uh, there's a and there's a potential qualifier that I really don't have time to go into. Okay, but um, God is God is capable of actualizing via His omnipotence every possible physical every physically possible, logically possible state of affairs. And therefore, he could create an infinite number of universes in which all these different permutations play out. And that's not inconsistent with the Catholic faith. It's within the power of God to actualize that. The only kink, which is the one we really can't explore in any depth, is free will in these situations. If he chooses to include free will in a universe, then he's limiting the the particular states that are actualized and making them contingent on the free will decisions of creatures in that universe. But still, he could create multiple, 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 an infinite number of universes with free will that even though you can't guarantee they'll produce every possible free will outcome, you could have a potential moral certitude that every or virtually every free will outcome will actualize at some point.
1: Do those – does that – I'm not quite sure how this works, but mm-hmm. does do, does that kind of multiverse theory uh, give us the idea that there's another person like me there? If the, well, even if there even if there
0: are just a very large but finite number of, of universes, eventually it it can be quite plausible that there would be someone who would be very very similar to you or even
1: identical to you. Uh huh. Th- that's so freaky, but, th- but it, it but it is pre- presented. But it's not you. But no, it's not me. Right. Um, but it's presented as a physical possibility by modern physics correct it w- it's not known but it's certainly a, one of the possibilities that's presented that's correct and but and you're saying there's not a there's not a logical objection to it from the christian point of view either not from a christian point of view no god can god,
0: we don't want to limit god's creative ability he can do anything logically possible Uh, That is a very cool question. Uh, Thank you very much for that question, Kelly. Uh, Oh, and I should say logical possibility means the terms involved don't contradict. Like married bachelor or four-sided triangle. God can make all kinds of bachelors, but none of them are married. God can make all kinds of triangles, but none of them have four sides because then they wouldn't be triangles.
1: Right. So So God can't make a universe in which there's no God. Correct. Because yeah. so they don't, there's God everywhere in all of mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Um, and and also, would there be an internal thing where, OK, so say God, let's just keep it at two. Mm-hmm. Nothing in universe two could logically contradict the possibility of universe one. Like you can't mm-hmm. say, um, I, I mean, I guess the basic one would be uh, that uh, l- universe two do- can't exist in a as a sole universe, if there's two universes, that's a logical impossibility. That would be, yeah, that would be a logical contradiction. But there probably are internal things that can't happen as well. Correct, or, depending right.
0: on the rules that God sets up. Now, uh, divine logic applies to all universes.
1: Mm-hmm. But in addition to that, he can set up the laws of physics differently right. in different universes. When you say divine logic, that, that means that it's, you can't say that there's no good or evil. Correct. Because that's cities. all rooted in God's eternal nature, yeah. which applies everywhere. I love weird questions on mm-hmm. Friday. Thanks for doing this with us, My Jimmy. My pleasure. Uh, we have more questions, I note. Shall we, I hope we can do another show. Yeah, we'll questions. save these questions for the next time. And you can always uh, email us at uh, radio at catholic.com if you have a strange question that maybe you've even you been, you've been uh, uh, reluctant to ask. No, we'd love them for the weird uh, questions show, strange questions. Uh, the actual title is Offbeat Questions with Jimmy Akin. Uh, That does it for us. Jesus Christ is the light of the nations. And we'll see you next time on Catholic Answers Live.